Hello, and welcome to The Premise. Season three. Season three. Can you believe it? Here we are. Yeah, I can totally believe it. I can believe it. Yeah. We're, we have so many exciting authors coming up this season. We are leading up to the fourth annual San Diego Writers Festival. It's going to take place in person this year, folks, October 8th at the Coronado Public Library, 2022, live and in person. But today, as you know, I have the opportunity to interview some pretty amazing authors for Warwick's of La Jolla. And for those of you who don't know, Warwick's is the country's oldest continuously family-owned and operated bookstore. Fantastic place. If you're ever in La Jolla, be sure to stop by. We thank them for this interview. So sit back and enjoy. there. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh my gosh, this is such an honor for me. I got to tell you, I love this book. It is so good and so fun. And I was so sad when it was over. I wanted to stay with these characters forever. But of course, that's not reality. So lovely, lovely book. Thank you for writing it. Let me introduce you and then we'll talk all about it. All right. Swan Huntley is the author of The Goddesses, and We Could Be Beautiful. She earned her MFA at Columbia University and has received fellowships from McDowell and Yaddo. Her writings have appeared on Salon, The Rumpus, Go Magazine, and McSweeney's Internet Tendency, among others. She lives in Los Angeles. So welcome. I wish you were here in La Jolla with us. I wish we were in person. I wish I were in person this time. I know I was saying before we began, I was in La Jolla a couple months ago and went surfing with my brother at the shores. And it's so funny to me to go back there now because I'm just like, it's so pretty here. I should have just never left. You know? Right? <laughs> Does your family still live in La Jolla? No, we've all kind of relocated. My brother mm. was living there up until very recently. He's since gone back to New York. Um, so I don't make it down there as often as I'd like to. Now, it's my understanding that when you were writing this book, you were staying in La Jolla. So you could really immerse yourself in the memories of really your childhood, right? Um, no, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't in La Jolla when I wrote the book. I just Oh, you weren't? I wasn't physically there. I think okay. I just felt like I was there. I, d I didn't intend for this to be a time travel trip for me. I just thought, mm. oh, I'll just set the book in my hometown because I haven't done a California book yet. Like it was a really logical choice. And then when oh. I started it, I was like, oh my God, I'm living in my 17 year old self again. What a trip. Totally. How much of your 17 year old self is actually in this book? A fair amount. I think a lot of uh, first novels are very autobiographical. That kind of tends to be where people dump their personal stories and then they move on to other stories. For some mm -hmm. reason, um, my first two books are less autobiographical. And this one is much more directly based on my own life. And I think that has something to do with the fact that I said it in La Jolla. It could just sort of just organically happened. Wow. Well, I wanted to ask you, like, where did this story come from? Like, at what point did the impetus for Stevie Green happen? Yeah, it's uh, a great question. It's always so hard when you're at this point to remember how it actually like, How did this happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's going on? Um, I 
knew that I wanted to write about a decluttering guru who felt like a mess, who was like mm. internally a mess. Whenever I start a book, I'm always thinking what is going to sustain my interest for 300 whatever pages. And I mm-hmm. thought that to me is just so funny. It also, I think, mirrors reality. Like a lot of these self-help gurus become self-help gurus because they feel lost themselves. Um, totally. I'm also yeah. totally obsessed with the self-help world. I still do what Marie Kondo told me to do with my jeans and my shirt, <laughs> et cetera. Um, and I'm like into minimalism myself. My brother called me minimalist adjacent, but I think I might mm. be, but you can see my background. You can decide for yourself. Very um, minimalist. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. We know I have to say like this book is there's so many layers to this book that are so fun. And as these characters start to unfold and we'll talk about them, but one of my favorite parts was really meeting all of these clients, Stevie's clients in La Jolla. They, they all have money. I mean, they live in La Jolla and like their lives appear perfect on the outside. And that's really a running theme throughout this whole book with every character. But you had this like, you were able to create these characters that could just be outrageous and fun. Like for example, Everett and his, his whole thing, like, and then there's the guy with all the rope and like, there was just so many different, like you got to have so much fun with that. Talk to us about that process of creating all these people who, where did you even come up with these ideas? Uh, Honestly, I, I mean, A, yes, it was so fun. And B, I don't even know. I sort of try to be as, uh, you know, not analytical as possible as I, as I set out to do these things. I just, yeah. I don't know. It kind of just comes to me. I mean, I knew that I wanted her to meet a series of clients. I knew that Everett was going to become important to the storyline. So that's why I spent more time on him. Yeah. Um, and to what you just said about the theme of the novel, you know, things looking really sparkly on the outside and being a mess on the inside, which is what Stevie is. It's also Mm -hmm. what her clients are. And it's Mm -hmm. also to me, I guess, what Loya is in a way, you know, I think there's a line in the book where it's like, it's just like 75 degrees all the time. It's so pretty. You can't believe it's so pretty. I didn't realize how pretty it was until I left and lived in a bunch of other places. And this is why I'm saying, I'm like, oh, I never should have left. Like you don't know anything (laughs) about your hometown until you leave it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was hard for me as a teenager to feel, to like trust my own, uh, sadness sometimes. Cause it was like, wait, aren't I fine? Isn't this like so nice? Um, so yeah, that theme of things being sparkly on the outside and, and really actually being confusing is endlessly fascinating to me. So much fun, so much fodder. And you know, one of the things, first of all, I fell in love with Stevie right away. I fell in love with her and it's her wit. I think she's so charming and so funny and she's sarcastic and it's her internal dialogue is so good because we've got this one story happening in her brain. And then what she says to the person she's talking to, whoever's in her world right then is so different. And one of my questions was, you know, here Stevie has this facade, like she's a total mess inside, but she puts forth this, this person who's got it together. Do you think she believes that people are buying that? I think she wants to believe that they're buying it, but I think she's questioning whether or not they're buying it. I mean, 
I think it's like on page one, page two, she says, and I reminded myself, I wasn't a see-through person, you know, like there's a fear of being truly known and truly seen by people. Um, but the desire to want to appear like she has it all together, of course. I mean, isn't that what most of us are trying to do most of the time? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing about this book is it's so relatable. Like I think everyone can see themselves in Stevie, you know, that moment where you have to push through that self-doubt and be like, no one knows what's happening. I just have to be the person that they expect me to be and move forward. And it was just almost delicious in a way to read it because it was like, oh my God, yes, I've been there. This is me. Right. Let's talk about Bonnie because I was totally in love with Stevie. And then I met Bonnie. Where does, where does Bonnie come from? Did you always know she would be a character? Or did she evolve in the story? Um, I, I did know that she would be a character. I mean, I thought I wanted this book to be about a woman who's confronting her past. Mm-hmm. So like that was like my Stevie, of course. Stevie. Yeah. So that was my larger theme. And then I thought, well, what elements can I throw in there so that it really becomes about that? Her reuniting with her family and specifically with her sister Bonnie from it, she's been like semi-estranged. I think that's the term I use in the book from yeah. Bonnie for many, many years. And we sort of wonder about why. And the reason why it comes to light later in the book was uh, something terrible happened to Stevie when she was in high school. And she's determined to <clears throat> figure out what happened. Um, that is the unfolding mystery of the book. But Bonnie, um, I felt like I wanted her to be incredibly honest and clear in a way that Stevie's not. I wanted mm. Stevie to envy the way that she is a little bit, while of course also being annoyed by her because she's her sister. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a bunch of siblings and I often don't know that I'm writing about people until I read it later. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of like, you know, this. Like, so I think this is a real like melange of my three siblings. Um, one of them is a redhead. One of them is a surfer. And they're all pretty funny. That's um, awesome. <laughs> yeah. so I think Bonnie serves as like a kind of a foil for Stevie and also comedic relief. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think she's a good mirror for Stevie too. Mm-hmm. You talked about that honesty, you know, Bonnie says it like it is. And she has like, it's not that she doesn't have no shame, so to speak, but she's willing to like look ridiculous and be ridiculous because that feels good. And that is genuine for her. Right. She's less interested in the facade. Totally. Where Stevie's confounded by that. Let's talk about the mom, Kit. I think one of the most brilliant things you did in this book was letting us access to the inside of these characters' heads. So, you know, the perspective will change. Mostly it's Stevie, but we get inside Kit's head. And I love how she talks about what she's done wrong with her daughters. It kind of gives us this insight, you know, about why why they're a mess. And she takes some responsibility for that. And it's just a short page. Talk to us about Kit and where she came from and and what that scene meant for you. Uh, Kit, I mean, because the theme of this book is about like confronting your past, holding on to your past, trying to move beyond your past, which is ultimately what we could say decluttering is also about, right? Like getting rid of stuff, moving forward. Um, Kit is still holding on to the memory of, her late husband who died 
like right after Stevie and Bonnie were born. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another mystery in the novel. How did he die? Mm-hmm. And Stevie throughout the course of the book is trying to get her mom Kit to get rid of, you know, uh, to, to spread the dad's ashes and to get rid of some other stuff and to, and just to let go of the memory of him and to start dating. Um, uh, I think, um, when I was writing Kit's section, I mean, I'll say this, I have never been on a book journey this messy, like this fairly short book about decluttering was my messiest book journey ever. I ended up rewriting this book many different times. Oh yeah. I have with my first two books after I sold them, I didn't do a massive amount of editing. And mm. with this one, my editor said, what would it be like if there were like more than one, if there was more than one point of view in this book? And I immediately said, I'm absolutely not doing that. That's so much work. There's mm. no way I'm doing that. Like anytime I get a big note, that's my reaction. There's no way. <laughs> and then I thought about it longer and I thought, oh, I've kind of always wanted to write a book from multiple perspectives and what would it be like to go back in now and do that you know with is that actually easier than starting with that intention Mm. um and it became an interesting uh exercise for me in terms of figuring out suspense and how to build it in this novel yeah yeah and you suddenly have all these other options like well which character tells you what thing and when and what are the characters saying about each other? I mean, that's, I always love reading that in books um, mm-hmm. when, you know, one person is saying one thing and then we get a different perspective on it. And we're like, oh, they've lied to us a little bit. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the mystery, like there is quite a bit of mystery, which creates this beautiful tension in a fun, lighthearted book. You know, it almost felt like a romance comedy in some ways, but yet there's this like, inciting incident and there's these mysteries. And one of the things I really love too is Stevie admits that she likes secrets. And there's a point in the book where she realizes she's not the only one with secrets. And somehow that like makes her feel better. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that. Uh, I mean, I think Stevie just feels so lost, you know, Mm. um, and, and feels guilty for keeping these secrets and is in total denial about her sexuality and her drinking. And so to know that other people are also keeping secrets, they're also imperfect, I think is, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of a bomb when she Mm. hears that. And what's so funny about her to me is that she's spending her days trying to make this decluttering business really successful. And her, uh, the, the system that she made up for decluttering because all these self-help gurus have these systems and these verbs, verbs, these terms that they coin, like Marie Kondo sparking joy, et cetera. I thought I'm just going to make this kind of a joke to myself about all of that. And just say, Stevie's only going to tell these clients they have two options. Yes or no. And you have five seconds to answer. Like that's kind of my joke about it. But the funny thing is that she is telling these people all day, like it's either yes or no, and maybe means no, and almost means no. And like, here's how to make decisions. And meanwhile, she can't answer some really basic questions about her own identity. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's funny because her clients are like, oh, that's brilliant. Like the simplicity of it becomes this brilliance, right? And she, I don't, she doesn't even really believe it herself, but she's sticking with it. She's sticking to her guns. I mean, I wonder that sometimes with these gurus, like, do they, are they like fully invested in their own ideas? I think they must be. But I feel like they're, I don't know. they might also wake up at 3 a.m. and be like, what am I talking about? I can't believe like they're buying this. Said, like, <laughs> right. I, I think you're right about that. But you said something in the beginning of this interview that's so true. I mean, we write the books we need to hear. We create the systems we need to fix us. And then we want to share it with the world, right? So, I mean, aside from narcissists who just want to start a religion and make a million dollars, like, I think people really do buy into it. And the, and the language they're creating comes from something deep that's changed their life, right? Right. I think you have to have that personal story attached to really be effective. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the title, Getting Clean with Stevie Green. Was it always that title? I mean, it's brilliant. The um, in the very first iteration of this book, which was a problem because it was tonally incorrect, it had this like arch tone that really wasn't working for this material. Um, it was called the decluttering wars, and it focused a lot more heavily on the battle between Stevie and Ursula, who Ursula. we learn in the beginning of the book is an the other major decluttering guru in La Jolla who currently like holds the throne. She's number one and Stevie wants to be number one. So this mm -hmm. is another thing that creates tension in the book. Can tension. she be number one? So the yeah. first draft was called the decluttering wars. Mm. Um, and then, and then I'm pretty sure this was the second title. It was either the second or the third, but if there was a second, I can't remember it, but I just thought, I mean, getting clean, you know, perfect. Also trying to trying to stay sober. Yeah. It just it just made sense. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. And of course, it, it took me a minute. Like in the beginning, I was like, oh, it's all about decluttering. And then I realized, oh no, this is about clean getting clean. Oh, literally. You that? Okay, good. Because I didn't know if it was gonna be too obvious with the sobriety thing. No, I didn't get it at first. And you it was right there. I mean, she admits that she's on a cleanse and said she's had this issue and it it didn't hit me right at first. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so brilliant. What a great title. So yeah, but I was so like taking the journey, right? I hope that we don't analyze things too much when we're just taking the journey and having fun with the book. So that speaks to the fast pacedness, I think of your book as well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jennifer. <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. So I want to talk about your writing process and where, where your writing voice came from in the process to get there, to trust that voice. Mm, gosh, that's like one of those questions that's so simple and, and there are so Impossible. many to it. Yeah. Um, the voice. I mean, I think I've always been interested in writing in a very natural conversational way. I want my books to feel like somebody's telling you a story, mm. uh, which means mm -hmm. I'm not trying to use complicated language. I am more interested in uh, using intimate language. All my books are in the first person. Mm -hmm. I like that for, for the reason of the intimate language. And also because 
when you do that, and you're also writing about characters who are in denial, which happen to be all my characters, because <laughs> this is also my life experience, um, you're constantly playing with the space between what the character is telling you and what is actually true. And you can get at what is actually true through what other characters are saying, um, et cetera. But I think, I mean, when I read, not that I've done this recently, but when I have read, you know, stuff I wrote, actually, that's not true. I did this recently because I just went through all my journals. I've been keeping a journal since I was nine. And I mean, like diligently keeping it. And Good I do. Thank you. And I started, I started thinking, should I write a memoir? Maybe I should look at those journals. I don't know if I'm going to write a memoir. I'm going to let you do it first, Jennifer, but. (laughs) I think you should write your memoir. (laughs) Sounds so fun and so scary. It's super scary. Um, But I started going through (laughs) these journals and I read this essay that I had written in high school and I'm like, oh, this totally sounds like the same voice that I'm Mm. you know it's like just very conversational and it's trying to be honest um yeah I think that's what I like so much about your writing is like you know these are real issues that you know my friends have faced that I have faced and this is real life but in such a tangible way because it's humorous it's funny but it just it just rings authentic and I went and read a bunch of your nonfiction, which I would like to tell our viewers and our listeners, go read Swan's nonfiction. It's so good as well. And you really get some insight into your life and who you are. And I, I started to realize that this really is a lot of you. But the voice was the same in the nonfiction and the fiction. Which made me wonder, like, when did this voice appear? Because I know in elementary school, you had a teacher who said to you, you're going to be a writer. Yeah, Mr. Higa at Bird Rock Elementary. <laughs> Have you ever talked to him again? Does he know you're a writer? I don't know where he is. I totally lost track of Mr. Higa. I should track. <laughs> I haven't even thought of doing that. Yeah, because I mean, tell the story. Tell our, our listeners. I just remember there was this moment in fourth grade where we were asked to write something and I want to say I wrote about the rainforest or like litter. I was like very concerned with litter at this time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad used to have us do a thing where we would just go collect litter. I actually have spent a lot of hours in my life collecting litter from the beaches of La Jolla. Well, um, so I think that's thank you. Right. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, especially in the summers when all the people from Arizona. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think that's what I wrote about. And I remember he pulled me aside and he just said, oh, this is so good. You're going to be a writer. And I was like, oh, Oh. okay. I was like, that's, that sounds right. You know, because by that point I was writing everything down anyway. I mean, I've just always had this compulsion to record everything. My journals are full of like movie stubs that I've taped in there, uh, all sorts of papers. Like I was like, needed, thought I needed an alibi. I don't know. I just always felt <laughs> it's important to record everything. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. I love that you have, re- so are your journals like all different types of journals, like one's flowering, one's spiral, like does it matter what you write in or do you have to have like a specific type of book that you write in? So happy you asked me this because this uh, dovetails with our conversation about organization. So when I was young, I mean, I just gave, I did whatever journal somebody gave to me. Like my mom gave me the first one. It's small. It has a cat on the cover. Um, And 
it's really annoying to organize those because they're not all uniform. So I now only buy Moleskine, the large version. I think it's like, yeah, no lines. I don't like any lines. Um, nice. And it looks so much better on my shelf. than the You're other. like, this is, this is me. This is my life in Moleskine. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I have um, in my, on my shelf, since we're talking about high school, I have all of my notes that people passed me from high school. What? Binders. Like I have five binders and I can't even look at them because I was so mean. Like we were all so vicious then. Yeah. And like deeply confused about everything. I find it painful to, to look at this, but for some Mm. reason I have them all organized for myself. Is this a book? Is this a future book? I don't know. I, me going through my journals. We'll see. I definitely want you to write a memoir. Writing memoir, I think, is so scary, but well, it's deeply cathartic. Although, I mean, do you get the catharsis that maybe some people get from writing memoir in, in your own books? Because you do put so much of yourself into the characters. I think with this one, probably because it's so personal, you know, so many of the things are like, like when I just flip through this, I'm like, oh yeah, that scene was directly taken from life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I did that a lot more in this book than in my other books. So yeah, I get, I don't know. I, I guess it, it felt healing in some way. It also just felt, I think the word that feels uh, more accurate to me is it just felt inevitable. You know, it felt inevitable that I would write about this stuff, which has been my experience of being alive for the last however many years. I mean, I've been sober for 11 years and I came out when I was 26. I'm now 39. So that's, you know, a chunk of time. Yeah. Congratulations, by the way. That's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's a big deal. Um, This book felt triumphant to me in a lot of ways, you know, um, I think I told you before, like the end, the last line made me cry because I was so happy how it ended. I was like, yes. Right. I because- am so happy you cried. That's like the best compliment that I could ever hope to get. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so good because I really fell in love with these characters and, you know, the ending, like we, the mystery is solved and the, but what's really solved is she figures out who she is, you know, and she's willing to. I mean, she has to go through a lot of crap to find that, but isn't that life? Isn't that life? And that is triumphant. That's beautiful. That's what we all want to achieve. Thank you. You kind of get a bad rap sometimes for having the happy ending, but I just thought Mm. this book just needs to have a happy ending. I'm just going to do it. I think that's changing. I mean, I think that Hollywood used to be like happy endings. And so I wanted the indie film that like had the bad, sad ending, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe it's because I just wanted to be cool. I don't know, but I would get pissed off if there was a happy ending. But listen, the last couple of years, like I am so over sad endings. There's enough sad in life. I want a happy ending. That's such a good I'm point. good with it. Yeah. That's a, I hadn't really thought of that. Maybe the, the pandemic and everything else has like worn us down to the point where we're open to happy endings again. We need to use <laughs> with hope. We're ready. We're ready. Give it to me. Yeah. I read your article in Catapult and I wanted to tell you, this has nothing to do with anything, but there used to be a homeless woman outside of our office and we called her Calamity Jane. Oh. 
And her name was Shane and she was completely angry and would run into the street yelling. And she had a cart full of stuff. And our listeners are like, what is she talking about? And she would take everything out of the cart and rearrange and fold it all and put it back in the cart every day. Mm. And you talk about a Jane who did the exact same thing in your article in Catapult. Maybe it's the same person. That's so crazy. Isn't that crazy? Did she have long white hair, like straight hair? And she was kind of bird thin. Um, my Jane is bird thin, but doesn't have straight long white hair. Okay. Gray. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to give her Halloween candy one year and she just about murdered me. It was a bad idea. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, you, I wanted to ask you about that though. So Jane is this homeless woman and you're, you're talking about personal things in this article. Why did you write that article and why does Jane appear in it? Jane appears in the article because every time I see Jane and every time I see any homeless person, really, I just think I'm, you know, a, a tiny whisper away from being you. I, mm. There is not that much that separates us besides walls. Um, hmm. home. Um, I really feel incredibly grateful to be sober and could easily see a scenario in which, uh, this right now wasn't my life, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I just, you know, and, and I, I'm of course not sure I haven't had a conversation with Jane, but it seems like sometimes she's really out of it. And that makes me wonder if she's if she's using drugs, I just get it. You know, I'm like, mm -hmm. I get it. You know, I get like, I could easily see myself being like, do you have a dollar or $5? Like I would do anything. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you write with so much empathy in your books too. Like it makes sense that you have that article in, in Catapult. Do you have a goal for your readers when you sit down to write a book? Is there something you want them to get out of it? I really uh, have come to the conclusion that after a book is written, it's not mine anymore. It belongs mm. to whoever reads it mm. and everybody has their own interpretations and those interpretations are really interesting to hear about. I get mm. a lot of feedback from people I know personally who are like, this is me. Like this line is me. I can't believe you put me in there. And then somebody else says the exact same thing about the exact same line, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just it's so funny. Like we all interpret in our own ways. So I, you know, I just hope to be entertaining. I mean, when I think like, what am I doing with my life? What is the purpose of all of this? I guess, you know, it's to be honest. Um, and, and to hopefully entertain someone for a couple hours, however long it takes them to read. I think that's so brilliant. And it's so true. Like, there's your part of the story, but as soon as the reader gets their eyeballs on even that first word, it's their story too. And I wanted to ask you, because when I was done reading it, I was like, oh my God, I love this woman. Like, I felt like I knew you. And I wondered, do people make a lot of wrong assumptions about you after reading your books? I think what often happens is that people assume that you are the character Mm -hmm. Uh, in this book, I, I can say, oh yeah, that's true. You know, I am in a lot of ways this character, but with my first two books, it really wasn't true. I remember my very first book event ever that I did. I was wearing a shirt that I had bought at Nordstrom with little pine cones on it. And I put it on, I was in Denver at the library conference of America or something. 
And I had the, what's it called? The like, not the tag, but that like hulky plastic thing. The oh sensor. yeah, yeah. They didn't have, <laughs> so I like went to this event with a the sensor hiding in my armpit, like this uncomfortable plastic sensor. And the very first question that a librarian asked me is, are you a trust fund baby? Because my first novel was about a character who comes from a wealthy family. And I just mm-hmm. remember being like, what? But I mean, mm. I think in today's culture, there's, um, you know, a lot of people are very transparent or seemingly transparent. And, and we're all very interested to know who somebody really is and how a fictional story relates to who they really are. Um, yeah. So yeah, in the past, I have kind of, I guess, felt the need to say, no, this is really not my experience. Um, and, and maybe with this one too, I mean, you know, the, the mom in the book is not my actual mom. Um, a lot, uh, most of the book is invented, but the, what is true about it is that the emotions, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and do you relate more to Stevie or Chris or both? Oh, uh, probably both. Nobody has asked me that question before. That's a good question. I think I, you know, definitely relate to Stevie. Um, and I also relate to Chris, you know, the feeling of hoping that somebody's going to come back around, hoping that somebody who's mm-hmm. been thinking about for a long time is going to, going to be available to you. I mean, I think we've all had that experience. Absolutely. Well, I know we're coming up on the end of the hour. So I wanted to ask you about your writing routine first. And then if you're working on any future projects right now? Oh, yes. Uh, okay, this is my desk behind us. Awesome. Uh, my very it's so awesome. clean. It really is minimalist. Nice work. Oh, Thank that you. or you cleaned it for our benefit, but I'm wildly impressed by it. I didn't do that much special stuff for you guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did put these flowers that my friend Caitlin got me on the desk so that my background would be enhanced. I, I like my Zoom background game is maybe still lacking at this point, but uh, yeah, this is my desk. This is where I work every morning. I am uh, a person who I would probably describe myself as quite rigid. I Mm. like a routine. Um, I'm very, I just like a routine like Stevie. (laughs) This is a line in the book. (laughs) When you read the book after listening to this conversation, you're going to be like, oh yeah. Um, I... Wake up every morning. I start with writing in my journal, the Moleskine unlined one that we discussed earlier. I do that just as kind of a way to get the thoughts mm. flowing and to like dump anything that I'm thinking about before I start mm. working on whatever project I'm working on. Nice. Um, and I am working on a new book. I'm looking at I printed it out twice now, two bound manuscripts that I've gone through and I just sent it to a friend. So uh, that one I'm billing as a lesbian psychological thriller. I'm very excited about it. It is uh, based on a recent experience I had of writing a, um, a memoir for a reality TV star. I was mm. working out as a ghostwriter on the side and uh so it's a book about a ghostwriter who gets into a dangerous situation. Awesome. It sounds wonderful. I can't wait to read it. 
So here we are, Getting Clean with Stevie Green. It is beautiful. It's such a good book. It is so fun to read. And it's a fast read too. Like I just ran through it in a weekend and actually a day because I couldn't stop reading. I hope our listeners go get a copy. You can get it at Warwick's. Well, I mean, you can get it anywhere, right? It's available as of yesterday. Is that right? We had to change the puppy to Feb 1 because the COVID factory delay stuff. Oh, no, the paper situation. Pre- you can pre-order yeah. it anywhere and it, it, it will get to you soon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's so wonderful. You know, actually, I had one more question for you. And this is sort of a personal question. People always assume that writers like live these fabulous lives and like you get to just write and you have plenty of money and everything's wonderful. And you think about your next book. What's it really like being a writer? Like, do you actually make money selling books? Um, I mean, yes, but unless you are working in a higher level than I'm currently working, you also need to get other jobs, which is why I wrote the memoir for the reality TV star. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, um, it, yeah. And then you have to find <laughs> time to work on your own stuff in between that. And it's, yeah. I think it can be a hard balance sometimes. I mean, uh, because if you do too much work, that's just for money, then you're not working on your own stuff, but then you might have more stability. Um, and you could say, well, more money equals more freedom, or you could say more time equals more freedom. So I think you kind of have to define what freedom means to you and make it work. And are those things, yeah, right? Is that really true? Is more time and more money freedom? I'm, I'm not sure, because I feel like if I have more time, I fill it with things. I think I have a really hard time with having time. <laughs> uh, like fill it with unimportant things, you mean? Well, maybe I just come up with ways for myself to be busy. So I'm always going to busy. Like I'm never going to be the person who has extra time. So I have to schedule. I have to be rigid as well to get that writing time in. Do you drink out of mason jars? I wondered if you would notice that I'm drinking out of a mason jar. Oh my God. You know, uh, I I did it till very recently, but I just bought this new glassware from a shop called mm. The Bell Jar in Los Feliz. Um, so I've just switched over, but that happened. You're getting fancy on us. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what it's made of, but it's not glass. Mm. So maybe not fancy. So I'm I'm sitting and I'm I'm reading the book. And I'm at this section. And the funny thing is, is like that day, I, I kept going back and getting glasses of water. And I was, finally, I'm like, I'm just going to drink out of this mason jar because I'm sick of refilling my glass. And so I'm, I'm in bed reading your book. And I get to this scene where Stevie notices that one of the decluttering clients has a mason jar of water on the bedside table. <laughs> oh, my God. And I, love, I, love, I was like. <laughs> I'm watching you. Oh, that's so funny. How did she know this? But I grew up drinking out of mason jars. Like that was sort of common. My mom was a little bit of a hippie. So I I wonder, was that true for you? No, I didn't grow up drinking out of mason jars. I did it. I started doing it because my sister who lives in San Francisco, I went to go visit her. And I was like, oh, we're just drinking out of mason jars now. This is great because I like a lot of water, you know? I'm just saying this after having shown you my little glass. No, it looked kind um, of big, actually. It looked big around. I like a lot of water, but drinking out of Nalgene's is a real pain. Oh yeah. That's like exercise. It's like way too much. 
<laughs> it's like exercise. <laughs> you, can get, you get a lifted and figure out what to do with the lid and then drink out of it. Hi, Julie. Hi. We digressed into water drinking. <laughs> we did. I know. I had. Okay. But just for the, for the sake of our listeners, it does occur in the book on more than one occasion. And I was like, I'm going to drink out of a mason jar and see if Swan notices them all. I love it. Just very slyly. Like, what is that? Um, so lots of great comments. And I adore the fact you said something that I think of too every time I see someone that's homeless on the street I think there but mm. for the grace of God it's just like you know we're we're yeah. all of us are just like one step wrong step away sometimes just from being there and so it's um we hosted a, a author Sam Quinones who deals with the um fentanyl crisis and some of the things he's a he's a journalist that um that deals with the border and his book's called the least of us and we have to really see the least of us in in this country and help them. So I love that, that, you know, yeah, the empathy that you create is amazing. And your mom, when you were talking about being sober, your mom is here with us. And she said, she's so proud of you. Oh my God. <laughs> mom, thank you for coming. I didn't know you were coming to this. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm assuming she's still on, but she's like, so I love that. So I was, and then Kelly Izumi is on here when you were talking about your fourth grade teacher, Mr. Haga. <laughs> oh, if you have his email, Kelly, let me know. <laughs> there you go. I love it. So one of the questions that um, we have is, could this book have taken place anywhere besides La Jolla? Mm. Or was there something about it that was necessary as a setting or even as a character of its own? Mm, that's such a great question. Uh, I think that if I personally had set this story somewhere else, it would have taken my brain to a different place. I would have had different associations. And for that reason, I'm not sure that I would have written the same book at all. I mean, yeah. I wasn't even thinking of adding this whole mystery about the thing that had happened in high school until I started writing about La Jolla and felt like I was back in high school. So my own experience of having grown up in La Jolla totally informed this book. Yeah. Mm. So it had to, so that's the, so it is, it is kind of a character of its own in, in there and that it had to be, it had to be there. It couldn't just, the story isn't just a story that is taking place somewhere. Um, yeah. Going back to high school though, it's like, oh, just thinking about there's. No, thank you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> for me anyway. I think, for, I think for everybody, I wish, I wish that we could put into, because I mean, there were some very, you know, all of us have those friends from high school that were, you know, competent and just like knew what they're, but I think for the majority of all of us going through those years, it's just like, it's horrible and awkward and painful and just, oh. so revisiting that had to have been. It was a lot more emotional than I expected it to be. Yeah. Uh, mm. I really didn't expect to go. Uh, like visiting the corridors of Loya High in my mind again right. um, in this way. Um, I kind of always trust that my subconscious is smarter than I am and doing whatever it needs to do, you know, and I'm just, my job is to like follow along. So I think that's why I say it just felt inevitable. Yeah. But I think that people also tend to romanticize those years because totally. some of it was so that you just like, oh, it couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> And I don't think 
Yes. I don't think you did that. Yeah. Some people are like, high school, best years of my life. And I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I think that maybe there was too many drugs going on in that person. No, I'm teasing. Right. They were at the party the whole time. They were just partying the whole time and just like, woo! I love it. Swan, I adore hosting you. We've had you at the store for both of your previous books. I wish you were down here with us now, um, but I'm glad we got to do this. This was fun. Me too. Me too. Yeah. This is so amazing. I can't believe Warwick's has been around since 1896. I see on the sign behind you. I mean, wow. Um, we celebrated 125 years last year. Awesome. Wow. That's yeah. so incredible. And it's also just my hometown bookstore. I have like such warm feelings every time I walk in. So I'll have to come visit soon. Please do. And that it's, it's one of those things because it's, we're not the oldest bookstore in the country, but we're the oldest continuously family owned. So we have that as a moniker, but we're also, we have to be one of the oldest businesses in San Diego because we came to San Diego in the thirties. And so I'd be hard pressed to, um, know if there's another you know however many businesses there are out there in san diego that have been around that have been here since the 30s so we're a little bit of an institution and jennifer you forgot to bring up the cards how did you find out that um swan did the cards were you on her website is that where you were at so i was stalking the lovely swan that is true you have have a new stalker i admit it Yeah, I was on your website and you've got these amazing cards. And I was like, oh, I love these. And then you have a note that said, email me if you're interested. And I'm like, yeah, I'm interested. So let's see the cards. Okay. These, these are the cards that I started making in my spare time. This one says, you're still alive. Congratulations and happy birthday. And it's a picture of a cactus in case for those of you who are listening on a podcast. Uh, another <laughs> one is a picture of a chair and a table. And it says, are you sitting down? I have something to tell you. You can look at all of these on my website and I am going to get organized, more organized soon and put them on Etsy slash eBay. We were discussing this before the call. Um, I recently sold these cards in person at a pop-up fair for the first time a couple of months ago. And it was the most exhilarating experience of my entire life to see people reacting to these cards live, which you just don't get that with a novel. I was like, Oh, this is where people are actors on stages. Like, this you get to see how people <laughs> feel about it. It was so cool. I was like, I'm quitting novels. I'm just going to become a vendor at some craft <laughs> Nice. So, it, it's a feed, it feeds your soul, right? It was like it's just so light and fun. Yeah. So if anyone knows of any craft fairs, I'd love to hear about them. I love that. Well, and so we people have... can email you before you get them on Etsy and stuff, though, right? They can go to your website. Yes, please send me a message on my website, and I'd be happy to send you some cards. Shipping is on me. Well, that's very kind. And also like on Instagram, because you're an artist, you're not just a writer and your Instagram features a lot of your, your art and your personality, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. I started making these little cartoons for Instagram, which, um, is again, like the cards, it's the opposite of writing a novel, which is a long grueling process. It's just quick. Um, and really fun. I started doing that at an art residency when I was supposed to be writing this novel, actually, but was being slightly avoidant. <laughs> the procrastination. <laughs> this is your procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> it's anything. It's like if we. It's like a term paper or a novel that's due. You know. <laughs> right. My well, um, procrastination. What your website is? Um, oh yes. Swanhuntley.com. Easy. 
There you go. And your Instagram? Swan Huntley. Everything is just Swan Huntley. Swan Huntley. Trademark your name. (laughs) I love it. All right. Getting clean with Stevie Green. Order from Warwick's. It's in the chat. Jennifer, thank you as always. Great conversation. Love the cover. Mm -hmm. And Swan, next time you're in La Jolla, stop by. I will. Thank you both so much. This is so fun. This was really fun. All right. Good night, everybody. Goodbye. Hey, folks, this is Jennifer. And as you know, the premise is the official podcast of the San Diego Writers Festival, which, by the way, is happening this October, October 8th, in fact, 2022. It's going live and in person. Yeah, live and in person. I'm really, really excited. We um, we have so many exciting things happening. So many exciting speakers they're coming in from all over and we want you to be there so coronado public library the fourth annual san diego writers festival san diego writers festival.com you can subscribe to learn more about our programming and get on the list to win free books and all kinds of cool stuff happening so san diego writers festival.com dot com. <laughs>